Welcome to another inspirational message from City Life Center Church. If you are ever in the area, come visit one of our services. We would love to meet you. Enjoy the message. I'm so honored to be part of the five-year celebration. I think I know just a tad of the faith that you've expressed to be here, the sacrifices that you've made, and I'm so excited because I feel like, um, I don't know, I just feel like you're, you're, just, you're just getting ready to get started. And so does anybody else feel that way? Do you feel like, like oh, we're finally at a place where we can get started? And uh, I, I just speak acceleration over you and, uh, and uh, the favor of God in a, in a profound way. I want to talk to you for just a few moments about your capacity. It's not a church growth sermon. It's about the capacity that you have to influence the city and, uh, and the people that you love and care about. The scripture that I'd like to, be sharing, I'd like to share with you today is a paragraph out of um, Peter's epistle, 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'll just, I'll just read um, some selected verses here. It says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, you like living stones are being built. Anybody feel like you're being built here? You are being built into a house of the Spirit being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then if you would um, come down to verse 9, it says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If there's anybody here that knows for sure you've received mercy, you should say amen, right? Amen, amen. So if you fly a lot and you get bored when you fly, one of the things that you'll do is you'll pull out that magazine that's on the seat back row in front of you and I don't know why I'm always drawn to the back of that magazine because I like to I like to look at all the different places where the airlines fly those little lines that go from Dallas to London to you know Cape Town or wherever it is and um, you'll also find in their maps of the terminals so that if you're going to land in London you can find where the bathroom is you know that shows you there and one of the things that I didn't know until recently was they also give, in the back of the magazines, in the back of the airline magazines, they give profiles of the fleet. Uh, it doesn't work for Southwest Airlines because they only fly one kind of plane. But all the other airlines fly a lot of different kind of planes. And you can look and you can say, oh, this is the kind of plane that I'm on. This is how much capacity it has. This is how much engine thrust, how many first-class seats. And the, and the last time I looked at that, it occurred to me, for some people... <laughs> It's not enough to know where they're going. They want to know how they're going to get there. It's not enough just to know where they're going. They want to know how they will get there. So they're looking at the magazine because they're concerned about capacity, you know? How, how, how fast can this thing fly? How much thrust do these engines have? Is it going to have enough to 
to carry me through the turbulence, you know. Lately, I've become curious about the capacity of Christ's church. Um, I think I know where we're going, um, either heaven or hell, you know, you know. We're going somewhere. But I've really begun to think a lot about our, our on-the-way capacity. Um, do we have enough spiritual thrust for this era, for, for the circumstances that the world faces today? Do we have enough capacity for peace? Can we love people the way they need, they need to be loved in this generation, you, you see? How much capacity do we have? One day, God announced, I think it's a crazy vision, over his people to Moses. He, he came to visit Moses personally, and he said, Moses, I've seen the slavery. I've seen the groaning and the whips that my people have been experiencing under Egyptian bondage, and I'm going to come down. I'm going to set them free. And you, Moses, are going to be the deliverer. You're the guy that I'm going to use to, to set him free. Well, Moses began to backpedal. He began to come up with all kinds of excuses about why he wasn't, you know, sufficient for that particular situation because he had programmed his mind to operate only in certain capacities. He's like, this is what I do. I, I, I take care of sheep, you know, and he was imposing limitations. Well, God... God pressed. He announced this really wild idea over Moses. He says in Genesis 4, 6, Moses, I'm going to make you as God to Pharaoh. Now, that's a profound sentence. I guess the application might be to this, to this church, to you, God's going to make you as God to Fort Worth. See? In other words, Moses, this is God talking to Moses. In other words, Moses, you are about to confront the supreme evil in the world. And you're probably not going to do a very good job of that if you see yourself small, if you see yourself as someone who stutters, if you see yourself as someone who's just a fugitive or someone who's only capable of taking care of a, of a few sheep. Then, Moses, if that's the way you see yourself, not only are you going to limit your destiny as a world leader, you're actually going to limit my ability to set those people free. So, so, Moses, I'm announcing capacity in your life, and I'm not going to settle for your excuses because there's a whole nation of slaves that are depending on you to get some thrust in your life. So, Moses, get over your quirks and start living in the upgrade because I will make you as God. God is going to make you into whatever the city needs. Does it, can you say amen to that, right? God is going to make you what you need to be. So many stories in the, in the Bible about capacity. I love the story about King Jehoash. Uh, Elisha is about to wind down his ministry, and, and Jehoash is concerned about Elisha going on to heaven. How are we going to get by without Elisha? And Elisha says, well, King, how about this? Take the arrows that are in your quiver and strike them on the ground. And, and so the king did, and he went, strike one, strike two, strike three. And, and Elisha went, oh, if only you had kept striking those arrows, if you had done it five or six times because every time you were striking the ground you were imposing my victory over your enemies and I wish that you had not settled for this but you had go, gone to the greatest opportunity that, that I had given you you see 
And, and there's another example. In Elisha, again, he came across a widow that had no oil. He wanted, he wanted her to, you know, make him a meal. And she's like, well, I don't have any oil. And he says, well, go gather up the vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and bring them. And as long as you're presenting empty vessels, this little bit of oil is going to supernaturally multiply. And it's going to keep growing and growing and growing. And, and the oil kept it kept arriving supernaturally until she stopped bringing empty vessels. And, and the point of these stories is simply to help us understand that capacity, capacity is never limited by the heavens. It's always limited by the humans, see. Our potential, our potential is up to us. You know, what if, what if? What if our capacity turned out to be exceeding abundantly above whatever we've asked or thought to this point? What if someone's destiny or someone's eternity is dependent upon our lives reaching their fullest capacity? Our, our text has a number of things to share. The first thing that I see here is this, the capacity for glory. Glory, that's a, that's a Bible word, right? That's a church word. But, you know, verse 4 and 5 says, As you come to him, as you come to Jesus, the living stone, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, a house of the Spirit, to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. It's actually borrowed language. Way back in Exodus chapter 19, God has now liberated the slaves, and, and God says, Moses, we, we've, got through the, we've come through the Red Sea. Now, I want you to gather the people around the mountain, and now that you're no longer slaves, it's time for you to come into your potential. It's time for you to begin to operate in your capacity. So get the people together, and, and I want you to make promises and vows to me and, and to one another. And if you make those promises and commitments to one another... Now, now I'm quoting what God said. He said, out of all the nations, I will make you my treasured possession. Though the whole earth is mine, you will be a kingdom of kings and priests. You will be my holy nation. And all of the people on the mountain together who had just come out of slavery, crossed the Red Sea, they said together, we will. And when they agreed together to be God's peculiar People, when they said, we will be your nation of kings and priests, oh my goodness, the mountain exploded with the glory of God. Into the mountain came the smoke and the fire and the trembling of God's presence. And can I just remind you that the glory of God is a really big deal? You know, our church at Trinity, we, we have core value, number one, and we just call it the substance of God. And what it means is we highly value the essence of God himself. We highly value the presence of God. We highly value the testimony of Jesus. We make a pledge, as you do, we make a pledge to this community, and we say, if you come and hang out with us, we'll do a whole lot more than study about God or rehearse the stories about what God used to do. If you hang out with us, you'll actually have a chance to meet the living God. What are we promising them? We're promising them an encounter with the glory of God. Moses was so impressed with the glory of God that he said, on one point, he said, I can't go forward anymore unless I look directly into your glory. And God said, okay, but look, you don't have the capacity for that. You don't have the capacity for that. Not yet. 
I'll just give you a glimpse of my glory. Glory, I, do you know what that means? It, it's really like God's brilliance. It's his beauty. It's, it's his goodness. And the shocker of this whole story is that Peter, the text I read to you out of Peter's letter, is actually plagiarized. He borrows the language from the episode. He has the audacity to take what God said to Moses and the children of Israel and import it for the New Testament church, for the church here now, for, for us. Peter is saying the same thing that Moses said. He said, look, now that we're out of slavery, and by the way, if you're out of slavery, isn't it a good thing? I'm no longer a slave to fear. Y'all sing that, Jordan? Yeah, I love that. No longer a slave to, you know, darkness or, you know, anger or whatever it is, a need for power. And, and, and what Peter says is, okay, if you're no longer a slave to fear and you will make vows and covenants together, if you will build yourself as living stones together, if you'll have a community of faith, what Peter says is the very same glory that Moses and those guys experienced on the mountain is it will appear in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a caveat, and I didn't see this for many years in my ministry, but the caveat is simply this. It's not a it is not a glory available only to isolated individuals. It requires being together in your faith. I know this is one of the things that makes church unpopular because the centerpiece of Western culture is individualism and everybody knows, you know, we're trained to make decisions based on what's best for me and what my heart desires and, you know, but you want to ask America, so how's that working out? Everybody doing what they think is best for themselves. I mean, if you're in a relationship and the person is just making decisions based on what's best for them, then that's not a relationship that's going to last very long. That's going to deteriorate. It's going to disintegrate. And so what we have here is a promise of the glory of God among a group of people who make vows and covenants together. We have a promise of the glory of God to come into a church where people uniquely build their faith together. Now, I, I understand, I understand that, that, that salvation is personal and it's individual, but I'm talking about how we can reach our capacity, and our capacity requires one another. I mean, this is kind of common sense. We all know the importance of reading the Scripture. We do this every day on our own. But how many of you know when you read the Scripture with other believers, when you get in a Bible study, when you get in a small group together and you're seeing the Scripture from different angles and different ideas, that it carries an, an accumulated knowledge. It carries a momentum. and it's, it's such an accelerated growth when you study the Bible together with people in faith rather than trying to figure it all out on, on your own you know i i listen to sermons a lot probably almost every day but i'm telling you it's radically different to listen to a sermon online or youtube you know than than when i'm in a crowd because when i'm preaching to a group of people like like you right now whenever i'm preaching to you something is going on i mean i can i can see you i don't know if you know that or not i can see you i can see i can see the way you respond to the truth i can you can see and feel my enthusiasm this whole atmosphere has been prepared with prayer and worship that's radically different than when i just put my ear buds on and listen to it while I'm jogging. Does that make sense to you at all? 
You see, and so it, it's practical, common sense, and that together we are better in our faith than when we're just trying to live our individual faith. And and that's the promise that Peter is underscoring. He's saying the glory of God, though though you can have personal salvation, the glory of God must be inhabited by a group of people who I'm here today to contend for the church of Jesus Christ. I believe in the church. I believe that when we connect and commit our lives together, Peter says, and when we do this as living stones, then we are building a house where the Spirit dwells. You see? This is a pretty wild idea if you think about it. That God promises to put his glory in living stones. When I read the promise there, I, I want to go, yeah, well, how much glory? How much glory can, can a particular church because can I just tell you that the church of Jesus Christ is a secret weapon? The devil never saw it coming. The prophets never even forecast that the church would be here. I mean, God kept it a secret from the angels. That's why they stand in awe anytime they realize that the glory of God. You know what it is when a person gets saved? It's, you know, when a person gets saved, we say he gets born again. And that literally means the seed of God's divine glory comes into a person. We could never obtain the whole glory of God. We'd just obliterate. We'd blow into a million pieces of the glory of God came into a human being. But what happens is the Holy Spirit takes a small seed of the divine nature of the glory of God and he puts it inside us and as we hang out together and we live our lives and our faith together that seed gets momentum and we gain momentum and we come more and more like Jesus Christ and we go from glory to glory to glory and so the glory of God abides among the believers who are living together somebody say amen amen God's wild idea that the glory could be greater in a group of people than in individuals Isaiah 6, one day Isaiah just goes to the temple, right? He's just going to church like he always does. And all of a sudden, he sees God. He sees God in the temple. His train fills the temple. Nothing like that has ever happened for Isaiah before. He's just gone with a sacrifice. He just put the money in the offering, you know. He, he, just, he just saw the fire, but now he sees God. He sees God, and, and it transforms him. And I think that's a vision for the church today that we have an opportunity to offer to Fort Worth, not just stories about God, but God himself, the presence of God. I've come today to ask you, don't hem in. Do not hem in the glory of God by small expectations expectations are excuses or limitations. In 1857 in New York City, there was a guy named Jeremiah Lamphere, and he decided he was going to start a noontime prayer meeting for the downtown community there near Wall Street, and he advertised the prayer meeting, and nobody came, and then finally a couple of guys came, and he went on for weeks with just a handful of people who were praying, but Two years after he began that prayer meeting, 10,000 people were showing up every day to pray over the city of New York. And it's estimated that between the years of 1857 and 1860, 50 to 80,000 downtown citizens in New York were converted to become followers. That was 10% of the population at the time. How do you explain something like that? You can only say the glory of God broke out of its previous limitations. 
1856 in Northern Ireland, there was an English woman named Conville, and she went to visit a friend. She lived in London, but she went to visit a friend, and while she was there, she thought she'd help out a local church, so she started knocking on doors, inviting people to come to church, but after quite an extensive time of just inviting people to come to church, she went back to London thinking that she had failed. Nobody nobody accepted her invitation, but there happened to be one young man. She didn't even know about him. One young man named James McQuilkin, and he was so impacted by her visit and he actually did convert and then he joined two other students and and they began to invite some other young people and after weeks there was one more guy that accepted Jesus as their savior and between the years of 1857 and and, and 1860 a hundred thousand people converted in that region of Ireland and and the whole region only had 300,000 people so one out of every three persons was a worshiper of Jesus Christ how do you explain that you can only say the glory of God broke out and then you can say God do something like that again do something like that now through the church of Jesus Christ June the 18th in 1995 Father's Day at an Assemblies of God church in Pensacola Florida it was a really discouraged pastor and and a visiting evangelist and the presence of God came into that little Assembly of God church and it was the craziest thing because for the next five years people came from all over the world to get healing to to find freedom to be saved to be strengthened and during the next five years pastor pastor Woody and myself Rebecca and we went down there over and over again over over 4 million people went to that Assemblies of God church in Pensacola to encounter the glory of God. How do you explain that? I'm just saying the glory of God broke through the previous limitations. And the reason that we even have a church, the reason we even have a church is because God wants to demonstrate his glory to this generation. For this, this season, God is not done with the world. And he manifests his glory through his church. I said he manifests his glory through his church. I've come today to ask you to value and commit to the church because the capacity of your church is way beyond your human talents or your human skills. The capacity of your church involves the glory of God. Let me talk to you for just a moment about not just the capacity for, your glo- for the glory that could be here, but the capacity for the ministry that could be here. Verse 5 says you're, you're being built into a holy priesthood. Now, one thing, one thing that you know about historical cultures is that they typically believe two things. Number one, they believed that there was a supreme being who was all, not just talking about Jewish culture or Christian culture, but all cultures believed in a supreme being, a deity. And they also believed that there was a big gap between that God and common people. And, and so people felt pressure to form holy spaces. They would form temples and, and they would allocate priest and 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 have spiritually elite people from which the bridges between God and the common folk could could be erected. People intuitively knew that we needed someone to interface with God who was more holy than than I am. And so there there was there was the establishment of priests and you know those sorts of things. Israel had three categories of spiritually elite people. They had prophets and they had priests and, and they had kings and guys, those guys had direct access to God. But if you were just a common person and you wanted to have direct access to God, you had to go through one of the priests or the prophets or, or, or the kings. 
then Christianity appeared. Um, the Romans actually accused Christians of being atheists because what was unique about Christianity was that they had no temples. They had no priests. They had no sacrifices. <clears throat> the reason that Christianity had no temples or sacrifices or priests is because they believed that Jesus was the temple and the priest and the sacrifice. In other words, Jesus, uh, Christians believe, first of all, that Jesus was the bridge between God and man, and secondly, that Jesus was actually God himself. And the bottom line of that kind of theology, that kind of thinking was, drum roll please, Anyone, no, no, I mean anyone, tax collectors and prostitutes and lepers, anyone could meet directly with God without having to go through a mediator. You could meet directly with God through Jesus Christ. That's why Peter's language is so radical for the church because he, he looks at those fledgling believers there and he says, in verse 7, he says, we are the temple of God. He says, we are the priest. We are the chosen people. We are the royal priesthood that we may declare. Declare is a, is a technical term. It's used only for prophets. And, and he says, we're, we're going to declare as prophets we are royal priests. King, we're kings. And, and we're priests. And, and the main point that Peter is trying to make is the main point I'm trying to make today. No longer are there spiritually elite people in the church. Or to say it the other way, we're all spiritually elite. in that We're all prophets. We're all priests. We're all kings. A prophet declares. That's, that's what a prophet does. I mean, he just announces or she just announces God's intentions or ways. A priest loves people into their place with God. And a king, maybe, maybe you're not a prophet or a priest. Maybe you're a king. A king organizes and provides and acquires and expands. And I've just come to speak over you. You may be making C's in algebra, but you're a king in the kingdom of God. You may get mad in the traffic, but you're a priest in the, in the kingdom of God. See, there's a generation of young people. They're right outside here. I, I see them walking by on the sidewalks. There's a generation of young people who actually have disda much disdain for institutional religion. But the mistake they make is they think institutional religion is the organized church. And those are two different things. Listen, just because something has structure doesn't mean it's institutional. Right? I mean, a tree has a lot of structure to it, but it's got a lot of life flowing in, in it, right? It's got a lot of sap in, inside it. Your body has structure to it, so, so it's got a lot of stuff going on inside of it, but it's all contained with, with a structure. Well, I'm here to remind you that the church ha has structure. It has apostles. It has elders. It has prophets. It has pastors, but it must never become institutional. The church must always be a movement of God. I don't know if you know the difference or not, but an institution is always top-down hierarchy. It's impossible to change. It's got lots of rules, but a movement is always bottom-up. It's fluid. It's, it's, got, it's got few rules to it. I, I wish I could introduce you to my friend Polo. Polo is a, he's a guy that um, recently got saved at our church. He was a gang member down in Oak Cliff. No, I'm sorry, not in West Dallas, not in Oak Cliff. And... Uh, He's probably responsible for between 40 or 50 people coming through our membership class. 
First time he appeared at our church on a Wednesday night, he recognized a former gang member that had tried to shoot him a number of times in downtown Dallas, and uh, it was a tough, it was a tough uh, minute of greeting on that particular service, you know, they were having a tough time going up shaking hands with one another. They finally did. Polo wanted to do an outreach in his neighborhood. I'm not going to tell you the neighborhood, but I will tell you it was a really, really bad neighborhood in Dallas. And he wanted to do an outreach in his neighborhood back to school, and I'll just... I'll just say that there was no pastor in our whole team, and there's, there's no elder who would have ever initiated an outreach to his neighborhood. <laughs> Nobody would have thought to go to his neighborhood with an outreach <laughs> because that wasn't exactly the kind of personality or the kind of, and it just, wasn't, it just wasn't on our radar at all. But he rallied all of us pastors and said, how about let's do a backpack outreach in, in our neighborhood? And we says, okay, we'll do it. And in that outreach, 150 of his neighbors got saved. 150 of his neighbors came to the saving. And I'm just trying to make the point that we didn't mobilize, as professional pastors, we didn't mobilize Polo. Polo mobilized the whole church he he mobilized the resources and i'm trying to get you to understand we're a movement we're not an institution i could tell you about rick glover rick glover came to me three years ago and he says man i got a burden to go to the prisoners in the sanders estes unit in venus texas and i was like well i don't have a burden for that but i'll, I'll cheer you on if you want to do that and so he started a church in the sanders estes unit of venus right there and every sunday and they're watching trinity church they're watching us online and then he goes four days a week and he gives them Bible studies and baptisms and he teaches them and he disciples and I'm just trying to get you to realize this church doesn't have to wait for the woodies to lead us into the place of God's glory. God is putting vision and idea and dreams in you because you're a king and you're a priest and you're a prophet. We're not going to be an institution. We're going to be a movement. And then finally, let me just Get to the practical part. How are we going to activate our potential? Well, there's a lot here. There's a lot of keys to capacity. Let me just mention them. Verse 4 says, as you come to him. One of the things about capacity is there has to be an intentional intimacy with Jesus Christ. Please don't lose that. Your capacity requires intimacy with Jesus. Verse 5. You want to activate your capacity? Offer spiritual sacrifices. That's what it says. Offer spiritual sacrifices. I like that my wife, Beck, her name is Becky too, Rebecca, and, and um, about two or three days a week, I will take her coffee in bed. She just lay in there in bed. I'll just take coffee to her. That's a spiritual sacrifice, right? I mean, well, it's basically just laying down a little bit of my life and my rights to, to give her something, and that's what spiritual sacrifice to the Lord is. It's just when you lay down a little bit of your money or a little bit of your time or a little bit of your agenda to promote the purposes of God. And can I tell you that spiritual sacrifices, whether it's taking coffee to my wife in bed or whether it's something that you're doing on behalf of Jesus Christ, it activates and stimulates a spiritual atmosphere that attracts the glory of God. And, and so, you know, come to him, intimacy, spiritual sacrifices. Verse 10 says, you're the people of God. So one of the things that keeps your capacity growing is if you just are sure that you know who you are. But the main one, and I'll close with this, if we can have some musicians. The main idea is that he has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Can I just say that when the people, listen, when the people of God lose what's marvelous about this, when we lose the ability to marvel, 
we lose the capacity for increasing glory. Some of us become so familiar with holy things. We've been in the Bible Belt. We see Christian television all the time. And our capacity stands on our, on our heart's ability to be in awe of this love, this mercy. Once we had not received mercy, now we've received mercy. Does that strike you today? Does that, is it amazing that while we were yet sinners, God loved us? Is it amazing that salvation is simply God saying, I want to put my divine nature, my seed, my glory inside you. And I want you to live together with other people in faith. And we're going to grow it. And we're going to increase it. And it's going to expand. And it's going to be for this generation. I don't know what your most treasured possession is. I don't know what you've got. That if your house was burning down, you'd run back into the fire to try to rescue it. <laughs> maybe, maybe you've got a million-dollar bracelet that your great-great-great-grandmother passed down from generation to generation. And if your house was on fire, you'd do anything to go back and get that. Well... Peter says over the church, he says, you are his peculiar people, his treasure, his treasured people. And the idea is that God owns a lot. He owns everything. Gosh, guys, he owns, he owns the sunsets. He, he owns the mountains. He owns the gold. He owns the silver. And yet, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter says to his church, but his treasured possession the thing that he would dive back into hell to rescue is you. is you and me. And I'm not sure if it was the early service or this service. Pastor Tim said something that was so profound. It says religion, religion. It's just religion is about, you know, working and trying and doing something to try to make you feel special to God. Well, listen, Peter is screaming at the church and he's saying, you are so special to God. He wants his glory to come. Oh, my goodness, church, I, I, my, my time's up. But this ridiculous prayer that Jesus prays, his last prayer, he's like, Father, there's only one thing that I hope for, and it's this, that the glory that you and I have shared while I've been here on the earth, that you would give it to them, that they would experience what you and I experienced Bring them into the circle of our glory. That's what I hope for this church. That's the promise that's standing over you. Nothing less than the glory of God. Don't settle for religious ritual. Don't settle for proper protocols. Insist for an ever-expanding glory of God that attracts the lepers and the prostitutes the tax collectors, the business owners. They are, people are attracted to the beauty of the Lord. Let me pray over you. Father, I pray over the, your glorious church. Lord, I pray this five-year anniversary that you would plant a resolve in our hearts. This is not a time to sit back and fold our arms and say, oh, Look, we, we've arrived. We're a church. We have two services. We've got a coffee shop. Look at, the, look at the favor of God. We're thankful for that, Lord. We're thankful for that. But, Father, we just, we just want to build our lives together in such a way that there can, there can be a movement here from glory to glory to glory, not an institution. We never want that. But a movement that 
sweeps into downtown Fort Worth and the colleges and the neighborhoods. The testimony of Jesus is heralded. Lord, we marvel that you love us and we marvel that through us we are a bridge to others. Help us be the church that declares your praises to this generation and we'll give you the praise for it. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. For more information about how you can get involved with City Life locally, text CONNECT to 41411. Again, that's CONNECT to 41411. Or visit us online at citylifecenter.org. We would love to meet you.